Well, let's begin with a little crowd participation. You guys ready in the house, even at home? We can't see you, but you guys play along. If you're at home, lower level balcony, everybody, show of hands. I'm talking about your family of origin, your birth order in your family of origin, okay? You're locked in. How many of you are, uh, you're the youngest in your family of origin? Raise your hand, keep them up. Probably got some divas in the room right there with their hands up. All right, how many of you are the oldest? You're the firstborn in your family. Yep, a lot of responsible people. Keep your hands up. Responsible people, probably, these are the people who are gonna remind us that we have a week to register to vote, okay? Then how many of you, uh, show of hands, if you're the middle, middle child, okay? Probably keep your hands up. Maybe you're in therapy because you've been neglected. Uh, all right, we see you out there. there. I really believe of all the stuff that you learn, the theories, I guess there's some science behind it, but the theories that we learn about birth order, I've read a bunch of that because I've got three kids. And uh, I, I don't know, the thing that I buy into the most, uh, just don't spout it out an opinion before we get into biblical truth. But look, I, I just feel like the youngest uh, is really the neglected child. Uh, the youngest are uh, the divas, the, the comedians a lot of times because parents just get sort of laid back with their last born. Another word for that is lazy. Uh, I heard a story one time of a salesman who knocked on a door and opening the door was a, a seven-year-old boy with a huge cigar. He was smoking a huge cigar. And the salesman uh, said to the boy, is, is your mom home? And in a smart, elecky way, the little seven-year-old boy said, why are you asking? And he said, well, I figure your mom is not home or you're the youngest. Uh, in your family. So laid back parents, lazy parents when it comes to that young person. And we're in this series calling Getting Through This, and we're looking at the life of Joseph. If you find any of the sermons hard to follow along with, we're in Genesis 37 to 50. Read it on your own if it feels muddy at church, but Genesis 37 to 50, we said in week one, anybody remember, I just dropped a factoid that I think is pretty cool. Maybe I'm alone in this, but if all the people chronicled in Genesis from Noah and Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's Joseph that gets the most airtime. Joseph gets about 13 chapters plus of about his story, and it picks up, some of you will remember, in 37, where it talks about Joseph being 17 years old. Now stop for a second. How many of you, I asked this at the 930, how many of you would want your life chronicled at 17 years old? and put in the best-selling book of all time into some detail there. 17, what were you like at 17? I had hair, blonde hair. I had a lot of freckles. I was driving a Jeep CJ7 three-speed on the floor with dual headers on the exhaust. I, I didn't want anything about my life at 17 to be written about later. But we pick up with Joseph, and Joseph is the youngest in his family. When he was born, his dad was tired, and he picked him as his favorite and and he said, this is my guy. And then as many of you know, into this dysfunctional family, we see sibling rivalry. The youngest guy, Joseph, dreamt. And you'll see as we move deeper into Genesis this morning, you'll see dreams, dreams, dreams. You'll see a lot of dreams. They didn't have social media. They didn't look at screens. They didn't have the myriad of diversions and entertainment options that we have. They thought, they pondered, they were contemplative, reflected people. I think they dreamt a little bit more, but there was meaning behind the dreams. And of course, some of it, I believe, of course, with the progressive revelation of God speaking through the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, and ultimately through Jesus, that we have these dreams. But Joseph, he dreamt, and that's a good thing. Joseph was good looking. He was bright. He had potential. God had given him a promise through these dreams, but he made the mistake. Some of you remember me saying two weeks ago, he made the mistake of telling his dreams too early. 
He spoke too much. Anybody speak too much? He just rattled things off without thinking, and he told his brothers, remember, there was an agricultural dream, there was an astronomy dream, and he kind of looked good. He looked really good. It was like, you know, I'm the younger brother. You older brothers are going to bow down to me. God's chosen me, et cetera, et cetera, and it was premature. And into this, we pick up the story today, but here's a big thought. I told the earlier service, this very idea, I'm going to give it to you up front. It says this seven times. Any numerologist in the room, you believe in the significance of numbers. I I dabble in that a little bit. Seven times it says in this portion of scripture that God was with Joseph. Now sit in that for a moment. God was with Joseph. Joseph was betrayed. Joseph was beaten up. His brothers were jealous of him. He was thrown into a pit. He was falsely accused. He was forgotten. He was tempted. But God was with Joseph. How often by default do we think, I really don't even need to ask this question, but how often by default do you think there's pain and difficulty, there's unfavorable circumstances in my life, I'm in a pit myself, something must be wrong. How in the world would scripture give us this? God was with Joseph. I want to show you a picture and you'll quickly recognize that this is not just a picture, nothing glossy about it, it's a mugshot. This is a photo, a mugshot photo of a man named James Bain. If you don't know the story, it's spelled B-A-I-N, fact check me, but more than that, learn. But this is James Bain. In 1974, when he was not 17 like Joseph, but he was 19, he was accused of kidnapping and mistreating a nine-year-old boy. He maintained his innocence. In fact, he pleaded for his innocence, wouldn't you? His family, on his behalf, also pleaded for his innocence. He was accused and he was convicted. The sentence, y'all, was 35 years in jail. He served that time and recently, via DNA evidence, he was fully, resolutely exonerated. Here's a picture of him 35 years later. He is almost exactly my age. And a reporter had the gall to ask him at this national press conference, are you bitter? To which James Bain said this, I'm not angry because God has always been with me. Nothing greater can be said about anyone. And I wouldn't want anyone to leave here today or to tune out at home and not think about that. Not not letting that escape you, that 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 very thing, no matter what you're going to go through, that that thing could be true in your life, that you could say that God has been with me. God is with me. When I was 24 years old, I was in campus ministry, John Wood in Tallahassee, Florida. I was uh, working with college students, but I took a little deal on the side to grow me in 
Christian compassion and service and ministry, and I was uh, had a brief little stint as a chaplain at a hospital. Uh, to be honest with you, because of my age and immaturity and gift mix at the time, I just I, I didn't enjoy it, and I wasn't good at it. There was a dog, I remember, in the hospital. His name was Puzzle, and it was a mercy dog. And people love Puzzle. Could you imagine a cute dog, the children, the big people? They just loved when Puzzle would come into the room. They would smile and light up and have him come over and pet him. And Puzzle looked over at me one time as if to say, you're, 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 you're not good at this. You're, you're really bad at this. But I remember a man motioning to me at his bedside, at his hospital bed, and he had me come over and hold his hand. He gripped my hand, he clutched it very tightly, and in his grip, he would not let go. Tears came down his face. I knew what he knew, and all his family knew, that he had been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And he said to me, bedside of his hospital, God is with me. Can I tell you that I remember that some 30 years later? God is with me. Let's pick up. If you brought a Bible today, we're going to be in Genesis 4. If you didn't bring one, no worries. We'll have it, as you know, on the screen. And those of you who know me know we're going to drop it in the ESV. But later, to keep things interesting, we'll drop some NIV and NLT to keep everybody honest. Genesis chapter 40, we're going to look at 1 through 8. I'll read that for us now. Genesis 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, here we go, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not, interp do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, when you, if you study this later and immerse yourself more into the story, you will learn that this is a real point of pride for Joseph. I was studying this week and jotting down some sentences, some phrases from the Bible, different people who had boasted. And it's really blatant and explicit. It's, it's just right there. You think about Gideon and Absalom and Samson and King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, my goodness. I mean, these were just blatant boasts. You, you know that when someone brags about something, you can, it's just palpable. It's in the air like, oh, my goodness. They just, they just whew, okay. But this is, this is pride in a more subtle way. But Joseph is doing something that we tend to do in our own way individually, but Joseph got out of his lane. Did you see the worship? The only God can do this. This is what God does. And then Joseph's like, but I can do it. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I'll play. I'll play God. I'll get out of my lane, and I'll play God. And we see the pride surface in his life. 
Daniel preached last week, did a great job. Notice the senior pastor gave the young pastor the story about Potiphar and his wife and the temptation and all that. Notice how skillful I am in delegation. You leaders take note. Daniel did a great job with that. But week one, when I opened this series, I talked about Joseph and his pride that God had promised him, I'm going to do a great work in your life. God used him in personal crises and in a global crisis. We'll learn about that soon, about the famine that was in the land. We're living in a global crisis. And God used Joseph, but not yet. Not yet, because he had to do some heart-shaping, character-forming work in his life. And can I tell you, I think it's true of you as well. You're waiting for something. You're hoping for something. You feel like God has spoken. He's given you a dream. Maybe not of biblical proportions, but there's something there. And God is saying, not yet. You're not ready yet. Because you're not the person, not right now, that he needs you to be. Look, it's not just, he didn't want you to just go through this. He wants you to grow through this. Three times in the Bible, three times in the Bible, it says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you're a note taker, those three times are Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, and 1 Peter 5.5. And I really want to emphasize 1 Peter 5.5 because it's to leaders and it tells people, and I think we need more of this in a church. I'm praying for our diversity to grow. I'm praying that we would be also multi-generational, that we wouldn't put the old folks out to the shelf. I'm out, you know, on the shelf. I'm praying that we would have old folks. Soon I'll be an old folk. But it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, that the younger should learn from the older, from their sage advice, from their hard-earned wisdom. And then it says, clothe yourself, clothe yourself. You got, look down, you put something on today, didn't you? Like you clothe, you, you decided, y'all look good. Y'all, I'm not sure why I chose this, but we all said, I'm going to put something on. I'm going to clothe myself with this. And first Peter five, five says, Hey, young leaders, clothe yourselves with humility. Why? Because I told you, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so look what it says in Obadiah. You guys were just reading Obadiah on your way to church, weren't you? It has one chapter, and I told the earlier service this, you know, some of y'all are going to go to heaven one day, you're going to bump into Obadiah, and you have to look at him. He's going to say, hey, did you read my book? You have to say no. It says this phrase in the, in the third verse of the one and only chapter of Obadiah. It's the pride of your heart that has deceived you. And that's probably the most destructive thing about pride, that it, it can deceive you. God opposes the proud. Some versions say that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we see pride again in Joseph. It's subtle. If you're reading on the surface, you're not going to pick it up, but Joseph got out of his lane. Let me just say, let me state the obvious. Stay in your lane. My boys and I at home, we laugh at one of those commercials, the guy in the tattoo parlor, like, stay in your lane, dude, stay in your lane. And the same thing is true of you. Look, God can do everything. God can do everything, but he's called you to do some things. But you need to understand what God's part is and what your part is. In my moments of discouragement, and I shouldn't share this with you, but let me have a quick counseling session. I'm sitting on your couch and you're the therapist and I'm just telling you my problems. But when I get low, I have had this beautiful companion, this soulmate, this spouse sent from above named Susan. And she tells me, she reminds me, Robert, don't worry about success. Robert, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Be faithful. Be faithful. Trust God. Share the gospel. 
preach pastor in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. And maybe the hardest part for me is to leave the results to God. And so I want to get out of my lane. And you know what that is? That's pride. That is pride. Stay in your lane. So we see pride and then let's follow, continue in the story. I think chapter 40, verses uh, 14 and 15, uh, we'll see pain. Here is a cry of the heart. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. Here we see a whiny baby. We see Joseph, the youngest child. Y'all know who you are, you youngest. He's whining and we see a tone here that's uh, of complaint. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Remember me. Remember me. If you have an open Bible, I don't know if you have it on the screen, but verse 23, of, there it is. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. <laughs> you don't always get what you want, do you? When you pray, when you complain, when you say, oh, this is what I've got to have. You don't always get what you cry for, what you pray for. And we see it. I mean, it, we brought pretty quick to this story. Joseph's like, remember me, remember me, don't forget me, I'm in this pit. He, he prayed and wanted and sought to get what you would in that situation. Look, I'm not judging him. I'd be a whiny, complaining baby too. But he didn't get it. He felt forgotten. And we see this pain. And this is the very moment in the story where Joseph could have become, drum roll, wait for it, stay tuned, where Joseph could have become a victim. Stay with me for a second, because God's got something for somebody today. But once you become a victim, let me say this, what does Jesus provide? Victory. He gives us the victory. The only person who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. And it is historical and it is factual and it is revolutionary. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, true then, true now in a pandemic, in a global crisis, COVID-19. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You were in a pit, but you have victory in Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God. Your work in God is not in vain. Now, it's going to feel like it at times. Look, there are times in my life, listen to me, God feels silent, absent, and distant. And I'm in a pit. And when I am tempted to lay down and play the victim card, I need to be reminded with Holy Spirit power, that I have victory in Christ. Studies show, you don't need a study to prove this. I'm just going to tell you that some pretty astute surveys and studies and research bears this out. But victims tend to whine and complain, to, to blame and criticize, and become cynical and pessimistic. Now, notice that. That's from Princeton. But you whine and complain, you blame and criticize, and when you whine and complain and blame and criticize, you become pessimistic and cynical. In other words, you do these things all the time, it, it becomes who you are. You become cynical and pessimistic. 
But in the pride, God was refining him to let go of his pride. Not yet, Joseph. I'm going to use you in the middle of this global crisis, but not yet. You need to let go. You need to let go of some things. And in the middle of the pain, when he could have played the victim card, God was refining him. I share with a group of friends uh, Monday night in my office. I received a letter recently from, um, from this man, from Mr. Earl Darrington. Mr. Earl is 95 years old, and not now because you're in church, but you can Google Mr. Earl and find out some very inspiring stories. You'll see a cluster of microphones. I think that's WLBT interviewing him uh, sort of recently. I say it from time to time, but I don't deserve the job that I have. And back in April, I think it was the week after Easter, height of COVID, I got to stand with Mr. Earl and preach the funeral of his wife, Miss Pauline. Susan and I are about to celebrate 24 years in a couple of months. Um, if Miss Pauline had lived on this earth for another month, they would have been celebrating 70 years of marriage. Mr. Earl Darrington was drafted in December 1943. And by June, I think I've got this right, by June of 1944, in the Battle of the Bulge of World War II, he was taken as a prisoner of war. A couple of weeks ago, he wrote me uh, a letter. I left it out. Nick, Nick was snooping around my office and read it and felt guilty. I'm like, dude, I left it there for y'all to read. I'm, I'm going to read to all of y'all. Brother Green, just some food for thought. Let me take this opportunity to thank you and your team for the most refreshing messages this summer. Okay, stay with me. He's 95 years old, and Mr. Earl watches us from home. And I hope when this thing lifts, he'll come be with us some. His church died out last year, and now we're his church. He said, the stimulating energy shown by your youthful team. I love that. Mr. Earl's 95. Everybody's youthful for him. Your, the, the stimulating energy shown by your youthful team, both in word and song, gives hope for the future. A 95-year-old is talking about hope for the future. But let's stop and think. There was a price to be paid. You had Fondren church members to guide in an unthought-of way. You had messages to prepare and deliver to an empty pew. Thank you, Mr. Earl, for feeling my pain. You had new media to learn how to produce really quick. Nick's over there going, RG didn't do any of this. You have a family to love, and you have COVID-19 to beat. You did it. We did it. God did it. You and I both know it is the art of communication that leads to leadership. Let us be thankful for our ability to communicate with our Lord and Savior and to others about him. And he enclosed a letter or a document about communication from POWs. You see, when I communicate, like you, phone, screen, in person, for me sometimes on a stage with bright lights shining off my bald head, that's how I think about communication. But for Mr. Earl Darrington, for a long time, it was in a dark dungeon with rats and roaches in the midst of no communication, terrible food, if even, and torture. And he, in this article, talked about how they communicate by knocking on walls and creating language. 
Man, if anybody could play the victim card. But Mr. Earl came home. Man, this guy loves his country, by the way. He'll talk to you about sacrifice. He loves his country. He loves his God. He loves our church. And he, he came home all those years ago and worked with presidents, particularly Sonny Montgomery, to work on legislation to help POWs who've been forgotten, who are largely unseen and marginalized in our land. God sees in the middle of pain, God can be with you. As we round toward home, I want to share with you a little more about Joseph. His pride, we've looked at. His pain, he felt forgotten. And look what it says here. There is a turning point. Lauren and the team led us. We were singing about a way maker, a miracle worker, that, that God produces change in us, that there can be a breakthrough. How many of you need a breakthrough? How many of you need something to turn in your life? You know, we're a proud people. Raise your hand if you feel like you need a breakthrough with something. If you need a turn, you need God to do something uh, in your life. Just as a testimony, raise your hand today. We see Joseph, we see a turning point in Joseph's life in chapter 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. See, Joseph had developed a reputation. Proud people can develop a reputation. Everybody can develop a reputation. But people that boast, that talk a lot, that are loud, they can develop a reputation. And Joseph had developed a reputation. Joseph answered Pharaoh, notice the change. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Do you see that? Look, I'm not going to try to play God. There's things that I cannot do, and I'm going to trust him for it. If you back up to chapter 41 and verse 1, it says that Joseph was, had to wait two more years. Are you kidding me? Two more years. I wonder about you. If anybody's going through something really hard, what if you, what if you knew it was going to be two more years? Do you have do you have what it takes? Patience is probably among the hardest virtues. I worked for a church years ago and we did a survey on the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, gentleness, patience, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. And we asked a bunch of people by the hundreds, what virtue would you most want to see in your life? And it was patience that was head and shoulders above the rest. We are not a patient people. We created, years ago, we created fast food, and fast food wasn't fast enough. We created drive throughs and a drive throughs not good enough. We created double drive through lines, and then there's people like me. You pull up to a double drive through line, and you start sizing up the cars in front of you in both lanes, and then you size up the person taking the order, like, oh, they're a rookie. I'm going to get over here. You know, you start counting the people. Like, it's just not fast enough, and we want God to go fast. And one of the ways that we manifest pride is our impatience. And God is saying, look, this, this was, it, God worked in Abraham and Moses and Noah and in Joseph, it, a lot of years and a lot of years of waiting. So we see a turnaround. Skipping ahead, I'm throwing you guys off up top, changing things from the last service, but I want to close just talking about trust. 
about trust in Joseph's life. The dictionary defines trust as a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Everybody is a person of faith. In America, particularly in election cycles, we say so-and-so are people of faith, and we categorize them as a evangelical or whatever, and we talk about that particular constituency as if there's people of faith and not people of faith, and that is a fallacy. Everybody is a person of faith. The question is, what do you find to be reliable? What or who do you find to be reliable? Brendan Manning, in his book, Ruthless Trust, put it this way. He said, the basic premise of biblical trust is the conviction that God wants us to grow, unfold, and experience fullness of life. I don't pretend to know exactly what Brennan Manning meant, but I know what Jesus taught famously in John 10.10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give life and give life to the fullest. So I want to ask you as we round toward home, do you believe that? Just a quick phrase here, borrowing from Brendan Manning here, about God's intentions for you. Do you trust him with this? Do you trust God's intentions for you? If you believe, whether you're in a pit right now or not, but if you believe that God's intentions for you is to spoil your fun, to take from you, And to harm you, you won't live a full life. You will minimize your risk. You will harbor grudges. You might have a little bit of religion in your life, but it's a religion with no power. But if you believe God came in Jesus to give you fullness of life, you will take great risk. You will dream dreams. You will fall and get back up. You will learn to forbear in difficulty. You will learn to forgive other people. Do you believe that God's intentions for you are good? Earl Darrington, James Bain, that man in that hospital 30 years ago in Tallahassee, Florida, And our dude, Joseph, served to teach and instruct us. When Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Flip that. Because if that's true, and I believe it with all my heart, if you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, you know what that means? That means that you can be held hostage by a lie. And so many of you are. So many of us are. So as we close, I want to ask you, do you believe God's intentions for you are good? And are you willing to be patient and endure any pit that you could be in or that you will be in? Trust Him as things unfold a grander vision, and a bigger purpose for your life. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray over you. and.
we're going to sing a song of worship. You'll be reminded about some things before you go. And I didn't say this in the first service, but man, I'm, I hate these restrictions, don't y'all? I'm looking forward to high fives and handshakes and hugs and honestly holy kisses I'm going to be doing some y'all pucker up I'm going to be kissing some people I'm going to be running around this room kissing people I'm coming up the balcony kissing people in the balcony Um, everybody filing out and all this listen we're here for you I know know you're going to be dismissed out certain doors and if you're at home you're not even here but we're here for you and we have a team of people who would love to process life with you and what God's doing in you. Some groups are starting all this stuff, man. Don't, don't, don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. I said this a few weeks ago. The government told you to, to sequester yourself, to quarantine, but we don't know how to do that. And many of us have chosen isolation and I'm telling you, don't do that. Do not choose isolation. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this day and the people. God, I would pray that we could say, God is with me. My Father in heaven, I want my own life to be a testimony. people think of me they can say no matter what I go through that God you are with me and Lord we live in a land where people feel like they're in a pit and people feel marginalized and exploited and oppressed and not seen and not understood and it's growing in concentric circles and there's simmering anger and bitter hostility And this story of Joseph reminds us that you are a God who sees and you see us. We are not forgotten. And you call us not to slink down and curl up in victimization. But to look and to see others who need to be seen, noticed, and loved. Receive this worship. God, continue to bless our church in generosity as we continue to march forward in the furtherance of the gospel the fight against fatherlessness and poverty and human trafficking and isolation and domestic pain in Jesus we pray Amen